Shalom, shalom, everyone. Welcome back again. Welcome, world changers. We're going to get into 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm going to read through pretty much the entire story of Saul, King Saul. So you got any questions or comments, as always, feel free to let uh, drop them in the live chat and uh, and I'll get to them as uh, as we go along. Speaking of the live chat, see what we have here. Uh, Kalamentos on YouTube says, uh, Shalom again to all. Shalom. Uh, Mark says, Shalom. Shalom, Mark. Welcome, brother. Uh, One John says, Shalom again. Shalom. Yes. Uh, One John says, I think that kind of quote unquote debate is a waste of time. He's not going to change your mind. And she wasn't responsive to challenging to challenging questions. I asked her a question six times and she ignored it. I'd rather listen to the rabbi, he says. Wow. Um, yeah, well, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, see how she responds. I see how she, she, uh, she deals with our discussion. Christina says, um, I just truly resent the idea that people who take Paul at his word just aren't smart or complex enough to understand what he was actually saying instead of what he of what he did say. Yeah, you know, it's um Yeah, what can I say? What can I say? Uh one John says she was changing the very meaning of words in her attempt to do somersaults defending Paul. Christine says, I really think people invest so much time in defending him that I'd hurt too much to admit that it hit, excuse me, it, it, it'll hurt too much to admit uh, just how wrong you've been. Yeah, what can I do? I mean, I, I just sigh. Um, what can I say about it? Yeah, I mean, we, we like I said before, we don't really need Paul, and and I, and I don't really like talking about like it doesn't really the only t- the only reason why I talk about Paul so much is because everybody else does. If it wasn't for everybody else talking about him, I just leave him like you know, um, mention him a little bit here and there. I, I I believe that Paul should be put in the same category as one of the quote unquote early church fathers. I mean, I know some would say don't even put him in that category, but you know what I mean. Like, I think I think the only thing that's going for him is that he's in the Bible. That's the only thing. It's really the only thing that's really going for him that is that he's in the Bible. And most people don't even understand why he's in the Bible or how that came about. Nanya, um, if I can remember correctly, Mike, Mike, is it Mike? If I can remember correctly, sorry if I if my memory slips me, but. Says, wow, just wow. Paul, Paul was written Torah observant till the day he died. What a problem you got in Hebrews with him on, on chapter 11 or something. That's one to 10, or just fine. Find a crack in Paul to, to tear down the whole statue. Vinny, by the way, welcome, Mike. Shalom. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Welcome to you. One John says, uh, personally, I think that anyone who claims to be Torah observant and defends Paul is a hypocrite. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, 
Let me just say this. I, I mean, I've never, that's, 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 it's a, it's a rare find. Let me just say that it's a rare find to find someone who is Torah observant and yet defends Paul to that degree. It's a rare find. Uh, so Mike, Mike says no statue, no st statues follow written Torah as Yeshua and, and Paul and hate oral Torah that trumps God's law. Read Paul that way and you'll see it clear. Again, mine making broad statements that are undefendable isn't mod observant. Mike Banner, good memory. Okay, great. I, I'm glad I got it right, Mike. Welcome. Yeah, and you know what? To anybody who would, to anybody who would seriously like disagree with my stand on Paul, the only thing I would say is this: do what I did. <laughs> do what I did. Go through every single word of Paul's letters. In a, you know, on videos, put them up on YouTube. And do it in a way that is without making, I mean, make Paul, all I, gotta, all I gotta do is just do this. I'll just say this. Make Paul say that he is Torah observant all the way and he preaches Torah all the way without denying what you read. That's all I gotta say. I mean, that's, that's all I can say. I mean, how, how else can I put it? Make Paul do that without denying what you read and still look like you're like, and this is what I mean by, look at, I've, I've, I've done this. I've went through the whole, you know, all, every single word of Paul. And I can just say it's extremely difficult by the time you get to the end. And you guys, if you have, if you've watched all my videos on Paul, you'll, you'll see what I mean. Um, I did, uh, let me just put it this way. I did everything I could do to to put Paul in a good light but <laughs> um, there's only so far a person can go let me just put it that way uh, <laughs> there's only so far a person can go uh, 94 says uh, Shalom Shalom I'm 94 good to see you welcome hope you guys are all having a great day or evening wherever you are in the world Christina says the idea of understanding the confusion of Paul is appealing to intellectual people. And you know, I, I mentioned this uh, earlier, and that is the guy that I know of that's very much like that, like Paul. And his name is actually Paul, too. His name is actually Paul. He's like that. Like, I remember being a teenager. True story. I remember as a teenager, I didn't really hang around with this guy very much because he was just too weird. But I mean, he was weird. He's a weird guy. Um, and I remember one time, I don't know what I, I don't know why, but I was with him in a car, in his car. It was an old car. Um, must've been from the eighties and, uh, he was driving around and he was talking about the Bible and stuff. And he was just talking like really, really weird, like super, super weird. And the way this guy talks is like, You'd have to meet him to you'd have to know him to know exactly what I'm talking about. He's some, he's a smart guy. He's a he's a you know, borderline genius perhaps. Uh um but uh 
he's just very, very convoluted, very, very weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's just say that. Okay. And so that's what I get when I read Paul's letters. I mean, I, that's just what I get. It's like, he's it's like, oh yeah, I like that. You know, um, those who do, those who do the law are justified. Okay, great, Paul. You got it. Awesome. And then later on, it's like, oh, uh, you know, you know, you don't obtain righteousness by the law. But Paul, you claim to be a Pharisee. Aren't you supposed, don't you know, like Deuteronomy 6.25, it says, when you obey the commandments, that is your righteousness. And like I said, the 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 example I gave earlier, and I think this is a good. Again, there was nothing. Um, I, I don't. There was no response to it. But the the example was, you know, Paul starts out in Galatians chapter three talking about uh, seed versus seeds, and it's a crazy, crazy idea because in the Hebrew, there's no such thing as seeds when it when you're talking to when you're talking about descendants. Seed is a collective plural. Okay, it's a collective plural. <laughs> like sheep, right? Just like sheep. You can have one sheep or you can have a million sheep. You don't say a million sheeps. It's just, that's not, you just don't use that kind of language. And that's the way it is with seed, uh, Zara. You don't say Zaraim when you're talking about uh, descendants. But Paul says, because, Paul, because God says Zara and not Zaraim, then he means one and not many. It's like, what are you talking about there, Paul? So if you say seeds, it means one. And if you say seeds, it means many. And then later on, of course, you know, the, the letter of Galatia, the letter of Galatians is written to the church, to the people, collective, plural, to the, to the people, uh, many, not just one, many people in Galatia. And what did he say in, the, in that very same chapter? In that very same chapter, Paul said, and you, speaking to many people, you are Abraham's seed. Paul, didn't you just say, <laughs> anyways, it's like, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, like I said, if, if there's anybody who seriously disagrees with my position on Paul, my position on Paul is, is that it doesn't, you know what, if you want to call him, an antichrist, or you want to call him, if you want to say he's, you know, he's whatever, hey, I'm not going to get my nose out of joint. If you want to say that he is 100% pro-Torah all the way, then, hey, okay, um, as long as you know what the Torah says, and as long as you understand, you know, you, you're a Torah observant, you know what the Torah says. You go by the Torah. You preach the Torah. Okay. Your view on Paul is really, you know, to me it's like whatever. Like he's not even, he's not our Savior. He's not the Messiah. He's not God. He's not even part of the 12. The 12 disciples have far more authority than he has. So whatever your view on Paul is, as long as, as long as you understand what the, what the scriptures say in regards, as long as you get the Tanakh, okay? As long as you understand the Tanakh, uh, have a good understanding of that, then I think you're in a good place. I'm not going to lose sleep either way. Byron says, Shalom, friend. Shalom, Byron. Good to see you. Good to see you. Welcome. 
when John says, see, see Paul as clear as mud. He contradicted himself continuously and in, admitted he lied and tricked people. <laughs> we can point out so many, and I made so many videos about that as well. And you know what gets me? Really, what gets me is people who look at it, they read it black on white, just right in front of them, and yet they deny it. It's like, stare the truth right in the face and yet deny it. I don't know. I don't know. Mike says, uh, got to get back to Jerusalem for the feast. Yep. Yeah, like I, I, I do, I do think that there's a good possibility. Let me just say that way. There's a good possibility that Revelation chapter two is talking about Paul. Good possibility. On the other hand, Acts chapter 21, the way Luke, well, again, you gotta take it, you gotta take everything with a grain of salt, right? So Luke is Paul's homie, right? He's his buddy. So I mean he's gonna put him in a good light anyway. But even with that said, he doesn't look very good in Acts chapter 21. He was very, very he had a some serious rebuke, uh, Paul did. Uh, he was rebuked quite seriously in Acts chapter 21. Um, and he, uh, that said, it's it seems like Paul's saying, by his actions, it seems like Paul's saying, no, 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 I'm not against Torah. I'm oh, 100% for Torah. I'll take the vow. I'll pay, I'll, I'll uh, sponsor the other four guys. Um, and I'll go through all the, you know, all the rituals and all that and uh, do the offerings and all that kind of thing without, without any ado, without any ado whatsoever. Um so it seems like he's saying, hey, I'm pro-Torah. Whereas you read Galatians or Romans or <laughs> the list goes on and on. Uh, um, you got some questions. Put it that way. We'll get some questions. Byron says, uh, I'm still learning, so I'll have to read for myself. But that was a good discussion. Thank you very much, Byron. And that's the whole idea. I mean, you know, I've said this very clearly um, several times, and that is, you know, just because I have a guest on, and I've had people actually unfollow me and completely ignore me just because I've had a certain guest on. Like, don't you understand that just because I have a guest on doesn't mean I agree with everything they say. Doesn't mean that at all. I mean, I could disagree with everything they say, and it's still, I still have a guest on, and you know, treat them with with uh, with decency and respect. Um, but the whole purpose is is to kind of give everybody. I think that everybody ha should have a chance to throw everything on the table and for, you know, all of you guys to look at everything and think for yourself, think for yourself, think for yourself, you know, be a Berean, you know, as I always say, the truth will win. The truth will win. The problem is a lot of times, a lot of people don't know the truth when they, when it stares them in the face. That's the, that's the problem. Uh, so that's when good critical thinking skills should be should come into play. People shouldn't. I've said that quite often. Well, not so much recently, but I think that that's a good. That's something that a lot of Christians have uh, uh, have lack in. And I'm, I'm not saying any of you guys do, but um, a lot of Christians they have lack in critical thinking skills. They don't really have a good set of. They, they don't really have a lot of that. Um, so that's the thing. And so that's that's really the purpose of having all these different guests on here 
so that it would just kind of sharpen our critical thinking skills and kind of prod us to think for ourselves as well. I mean, it's good to think it. As I always say, God is a God of intelligence. He's a God of knowledge. And I think all good intelligence and knowledge comes from God. It's, it's, the, it's the devil. It's Satan that, that, that works by ignorance. It reminds me in the, the book of Acts where it says that um, it was by ignorance that, that Yeshua was crucified. He was crucified because of the ignorance of the people. Yeah, and I've, I've spent a lot of time looking into all kinds of pro-Torah, Paul views of all that kind of thing. And I have actually, as you know, uh, you know, check out my old videos on, you know, uh, Romans uh, where it says Christ is the end of the law. And I still I still uh, bring that up to, to this day. Um, uh, also Colossians, which I was I referred to earlier as well. Um, uh, you know, there's that theory and I always say there's a theory cause I'm not really, I'm what, what I mean by when I say there's a theory or, you know, some say whatever, I'm not saying that this is, this is a statement of exclusive truth or fact. I'm just saying this is a theory that people have and it's, un, it's good to understand how people, some people view things. And I think it's good to understand if you, if you have an object and you want to, you want to examine the object, you want to see every, every angle of the object. Um, I used to have, um, I, I think you guys probably saw before I used to have a, uh, like a little pyramid and I said, I held it up and on one side it's black. And I said, this is a black pyramid, black pyramid, black pyramid. And the other side's red, you know, the other side's red. Then the other side's like orange or, or yellow. And then the other side is like, you know, white. Um, and it's like a lot of people just see one side and they promote one side. And so, I think it's good to kind of walk around the object and take a look at the object everywhere and, and get and see every angle. Um, that'll help you out. Christina says, that's my first video I saw of Christopher, seed versus seeds. It's so laughable. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's, yeah. Mike says, uh, you think Jews collectively followed Messiah? Uh, there was a split to this day. Uh, Judaism rejects Yeshua. I just, I, I just say a little bit about that topic. Um, when Yeshua was speaking to the Pharisees, we know that some, of course, not all, some, and it seems like a good majority of them, the way, the way it is in the, in the Gospels, uh, rejected him. Okay, uh, that is quite evident. However, not everybody was Pharisees. Not everybody were Pharisees. And um, and we see often, too, in the Gospels where it's like the whole city would come out and fall. Like thousands would follow Jesus. And they were, they were with him. Uh, they accepted him. Um, the Pharisees had a hard time. Again, most, if some, if not most, not all um, of the Pharisees had a hard time. In the book of Acts, um, 
the first part of the book, pre-Paul, before Paul comes into the scene, we see lots of Jews um, coming into the faith, of uh, coming into the quote-unquote church, if you want to put it that way. Lots of Jews. I mean, they were just pouring in by the thousands. Um, and we see, in, even in Acts chapter 15, where we see that uh, the Council of Jerusalem, as they call it, included the Pharisees. And they were, it seems like they were part of the gang, right? You have James, you got Peter, you got Paul, you got the elders, you got the Pharisees. They were there. They, I mean, the decisions were made. The council was, was in, the Pharisees were there. They, they had their say. Um, and it's, as time went on, you know, you see this in history. And you also see this in the writings, early church father writings, in any kind of historical writing. In the days of Yeshua, by the time he was crucified, he was, well, up to the time he was crucified anyway, he was very, very well accepted by the Jewish people um, for the most part. I mean, again, you got thousands. He fed the 5,000, you know, the whole city. At times, the whole city would come out to see him and preach. Uh, uh, um, the book of Acts, you know, we had... Uh, 3,000 that was baptized in one day, you know. Um, and then when the Gentiles started coming in, uh, by the time Acts chapter 15 came around, it's like, well, what are we going to do with the Gentiles? Like, um, you know, this is a Jewish thing. And, you know, Yeshua is a Jewish thing. Like, we know us Jews are, you know, that's, we're, that's what we're all about. But what about the Gentiles receive Jesus too? What do we do? What do they have to do? Um as time went on from there, you'll notice the more, especially after the 12 disciples died and when Paul's letters got more and more circulate in circulation, the more and more the Jewish people were, well, the more, let me put it this way, the more and more the church actually became less and less Jewish. Let me just put it that way. Um, and by the time the late first century, early second century, by that time, you got what I call the greatest schism. You hear about the great schism, which is, you know, the, the separation of the uh, Orthodox and the Catholic Church. The great schism. I, what I call the greatest schism. The greatest schism uh, was the separation between the Jews and the Christians. Because in the book of Acts, especially the first half of it anyway, the Jews and the Christians were one. They weren't two. Number one, and when I say Christian, again, let me just define it. I mean, people who would follow the teachings of Yeshua and believe that he's a Messiah. That's what I mean by that, okay? You can call them, you can call them the way, you can call them Messianic Jews, whatever you want to call them. Um, but the more and more time went on, the more and more the church cut the Jewish people out and I believe it was it's because of Paul's letters, because there's a there's a direct link between the amount of popularity that Paul's letters had. Uh, there's a correlation between the amount of popularity, the, the popularity of Paul, and the depopularity of the Jewish people uh, being part of the faith, if you want to put it that way. So by the time the second century rolled in and by the time of the end, especially the end of the second century, end of the third century, wow, there's a lot of really, like the church was quite, quite grossly against the Jewish people. 
mainly because of their, I'll put it this way, their interpretation of Paul's letters. If Paul meant what he what it says, what it seems like he says, uh, then you can say it's because of Paul. Um, nevertheless, his the problem is is the way that Paul wrote and the way that it is portrayed um, and and understood, even amongst his own people in his own day. Acts chapter twenty one is a good example of that. You know. Paul, we heard that you're preaching against Moses and against, you know, against the Torah and against the traditions of the Jews. What in the world? Paul, what's up with this, Paul? What's going on, man? This is not good. You need to prove yourself here if you're really on board with us. That kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Can you imagine what the church would be, what, what the world would look like without the letters of Paul? That's why I say some people could make an argument to say, well, the letters of Paul did some good, like how Onia said there before, where it's like Onia said, well, you know, even though Paul made, you know, a lot of bad things came from his letters, still a lot of people uh, came on board because of Paul's letters. And then later they learned about the Torah. So Paul was kind of like an inter intermediate kind of intermission between the world and Torah, so to speak, um, between the Gentiles and Torah. But then again, as we see today, there are so, so, so many people and the church vastly, uh, uh, pretty much the whole church um, is anti-Torah, anti-God's law, um, anti-Tanakh because of Paul's letters. Um, I said before, what I, you know, suppose, and I pray that I make it to heaven. And let's say if Paul's there, if Paul's there, I feel like going up to him and say, Paul, it's an honor and privilege to meet you. But why? <laughs> why? Why, Paul? Why'd you do that? Why did you write what you wrote? You understand how it was used against God's word and against God's Torah, against God's law? Do you understand that? Do you get that? One John, um, Judaism rejects Yeshua because of Paul. Can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. Mike says, uh, no, Christianity rejects written Torah because Paul, um, LOL, got, I got to watch your vids. You're so off base. Paul continually quoted OT. L let me give you a challenge, Mike. When did Paul ever quote OT accurately? When did he ever quote OT accurately? You, you look at a lot of what he quoted. And like we talked about it earlier, I'm not sure... Um, if you, I'm not sure if you got, if you caught that earlier, um, Mike, but, um, like for example, in Romans chapter 10, talking about the, uh, you know, faith, the whole, you know, it's, it's by faith, the, the message of faith, um, 
and he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 30. But he he quoted like three different verses, but he left out half of each one of those verses, the half that talks about obedience. So he quoted in part the, you know, who will ascend up into heaven? But he didn't quote the part that says, so that we so that we may obey. He, he, he left that out. Who will descend into the deep? But he didn't quote, so that we may obey. He left that out. No, no, no. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And he stopped there. Okay, Paul, spit it out, Paul. Spit it out. What's the bottom line? What's... He didn't say it. He didn't quote it. So that you may obey. So, yeah. Um, and there's many other things too. I mean, many other. That's why I say, please, show me, like, like seriously. I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just saying that it'll be hard to find. A passage that Paul quoted that's accurately quoted, that's not twisted or changed, or missing parts like how I just said in, in Romans chapter 10. That's just an example. If I quoted scripture like Paul did, people would be jumping down my throat like crazy. You're twisting the scripture. You're you're cutting out, you know, you're you're taking it out of context. Yada, yada, yada. I, I can just imagine what would happen if I quoted Paul or if I quoted scripture like Paul did. So yeah, that's a challenge. Um Try to find a quote that Paul quoted accurately. I'm not saying there is, it's not there. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, uh, uh, check it out. Do your, do, check it out yourself. That's what I mean. Now, some of these comments, I'm sorry, I, I can't read all of them. Um, and I understand, like, I've, I've, I've heard all, I, I can't say all because sometimes, you know, <laughs> like earlier, uh, <laughs> when you get some, I don't want to say too much, but let me just say this. The whole idea that Paul was talking about the oral law and not, not the written law, that can only go so far. Sure, you can say that, but Paul made it clear, especially in Galatians, he's talking about the law that came from Sinai, Mount Sinai. Moses, he made it very, very clear. And I, I know, I know, I heard some, you know, different, um, Interpretations like, well, this is talking about the law of sin, which is not the Torah. Um, in, or this is talking about the law of my mind, which, again, Paul did say the law of my mind. Well, this is talking about the, the oral Torah. This is talking about the Talmud. This is talking about the Halakha. This is talking about the, the pertinent works of the law, the additions to the, to the law. You know, the works of the law, the MMT, Dead Sea Scrolls, whole thing like that. 
But when you really read it, and this is why I say, anybody who has a problem with, with my position on Paul, please read through every single word of Paul live or not even live, record it, pre-recorded, post it on YouTube and, and explain away all of his things, all of his teachings that sound like he's anti-Torah and, and, and try to tell people that it's not. I mean, you can, maybe a lot of it you can. And there's no, I've said this before, you can reconcile pretty much anything. You can reconcile anything. You can look red in the face and say it's blue. You can look green in the face and say it's orange. You know, you can you can do whatever you want. You can reconcile anything. You can deny any evidence, and people do it all the time. There's no such thing as undeniable evidence. There's no evidence that is undeniable. Because somebody will deny it, and somebody can deny it. The, the fact, the question is, are we humble enough and do we have the proper thinking skills to look at a passage and to look at the culture, to look at the context, to look at everything else that was written and look at it for what it really says and for what it really means without trying to defend your position? Coming to the table as if you have no position to, to defend at all. And just look at it as face, look at it for what it really says, what it really means. That's really what the question is. Because people can um, people can deny anything. Mike says, you're preaching to the choir if you're advising people, if you're advising looking at Paul from, from different angles. I'm not talking about Paul alone. I'm Actually, I didn't even think about that. I'm thinking about just any concept that is, that is brought out, um, not just Paul. Um, Mike says, uh, circumcision is commanded at eight days Oral law says a Jew, uh, for all ages. So, um, that, okay. I, 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 let me just say this. Uh, how many Orthodox Jewish synagogues, rabbis actually say that everyone should be at all ages? Perhaps there is somebody in the world. Like I say, there's, you'll get, like my grandmother used to say, you, it takes all kinds to make a world, okay? Perhaps there's somebody out there. It's just, it's just very rare. Uh, and, and the question is, why would it be rare? Because I think that uh, most people understand that it's not required by all ages according to the Talmud. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying not to do it. 
I'm just saying, according to the Talmud, it seems that most synagogues interpret it to mean that it's not required for all ages. That's all I'm saying. I'm not talking about the Torah right now. I'm not talking about the written Torah. I'm not talking about Moses. I'm just talking about Orthodox Jewish rabbis today and their interpretation of the, the Talmud. One John says the modern church wouldn't recognize Yeshua if he walked in on them. They'd throw him out. Absolutely. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. Psalm 94 says, how could she say that babies are sinners? Again, this is this whole the whole teaching of the original sin. Speaking of original, original, it originates in Paul's letters. And it's really abominable. It's really abominable to think that an innocent little baby, e either in the womb or just born or a toddler that would, God forbid, pass away, that they would be charged as a sinner and condemned to hell because of Adam's sin. It's not the way it works. That's not just at all, even to the... Never. It's not even close to being just. And talk about context, people like to quote um, David in Psalm 139. And again, they don't know the context of that either. And then she said that she's a female version of Paul. I'm not going to, I wouldn't argue with her. I'm not going to argue with her about that. Uh, <laughs> Christina, it's, it's good. Um, it's good. Christina says he quotes Deuteronomy wrong too. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. There might be, I uh, don't, don't quote me on it. I don't know of anywhere that Paul actually quoted. That's actually, he actually quoted accurately. Honestly, I, Hey, prove me wrong. I, you know, I'm open to it. Correct me. I'm, I'm not saying, well, I mean, don't, it's not really correcting me because I'm not claiming that he, that he never quoted the Tanakh wrong, but everything I can think of, everything that comes to mind right now that he quoted was wrong, either wrong, like totally misquoted or chopped up like he did with Deuteronomy chapter 30 and cut out the other, you know, really cut out the purpose of it all. Um, this, and some of it's completely different. Some of it's completely different. Um, for some reason, I'm thinking, where is it now? 
uh, where is it now? There's, there's a place that's really, really different. Like super, like totally different. Uh, let me think. Is it here? Is it here? Some, something tells me Romans chapter 9. Yeah, there's so much stuff that I wish, you know, I, there's not enough time really to get to everything that um, that sh that should be said, but. Christina says. Uh, he he quotes Deuteronomy wrong too. He says uh, those under the law are under a curse, but then the verse says the only people cursed are those that don't keep the law. That, that's the thing. I mean, uh, the only the only time you're under a curse according to the law is when you don't keep it. Other than that, it's the greatest blessing ever, right? The first first part of uh, Deuteronomy twenty eight. Mike says uh, Matthew and Luke didn't quote all. Yeah, okay. So that's, I mean, that's a completely different subject. Uh, we're talking about Paul misquoting. Mike says the golden calf fiasco had not been dealt with. Actually, it was dealt with. Uh, uh, the end of Acts chapter, or no, excuse me, Exodus. I'm thinking Acts. Exodus chapter 32. At the very end, it says the Lord struck them with a, uh, with a plague because of that. So they got, what, they got it all. They got, uh, the Lord doesn't leave it undone, that's for sure. Especially when there's no, again, if there's no good evidence um, of repentance. Mike says about Paul, he was a Pharisee and then converted after the scales dropped off. Get it? Uh, well, and again, let me let me just say this. A lot of people believe that he that he 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 wasn't a Pharisee, and they, they have their they have their reasons. Okay, yes, Paul said that he was. Um, Luke recorded that. Um, Paul said that he was what three times throughout the New Testament. He said that he was a Pharisee. 
I'm just saying some people believe and they do, they have their points. They do have their points. Some people believe that he wasn't a Pharisee, that he just used that as a, he just used that for leverage because for like one of their points is this, let me just say one of their points. And it's very important when we're talking about these things to actually humbly consider other people's views, other people's evidence that they, that they present. One such piece of evidence is the fact that he's like, well, why would the Pharisees do what Paul did? That's really against the Torah. Where does it say in the Torah? Where does it say in the Torah to persecute and massacre Christians? Where does it say in the Torah to persecute Christians to the death? That's against the Torah. So if he, if he was a Pharisee, one might make the argument that he wasn't a very good one. And also the fact that he came from Tarsus. Okay, Tarsus wasn't a Jewish city. And it was a Greco-Roman city. And you, and you see it when you read Paul's letters. You see the Greco-Roman influence so, so strongly. You know, the quasi-Gnostic things about the flesh versus the spirit and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's all, it's Gnostic. A lot of it is quite Gnostic. A lot of people say that the gospel of Thomas is Gnostic. I say that, I say the, the, the letters of Paul seem to me more Gnostic. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they are hundred percent Gnostic. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying they're more Gnostic than the, than the gospel of Thomas is. So uh, I think it's important to understand there are people, people day, actually one of, uh, one of my, one of my old uh, buddies on TikTok, one of my old buddies on TikTok, he's not a Christian. He's a fair, he says he's a Pharisee. He, he said, I'm a Pharisee and he's very well, talk about well-versed in the, in the Torah. He's very well-versed in the Torah. Very, very well-versed in the Torah. And he, he proudly proclaims himself to be a Pharisee, a modern-day Pharisee. He says, I am a Pharisee. Um, I believe even, uh, even uh, uh, Rabbi Tovia, Tovia Singer also claims to be a Pharisee, as far as I can remember. He claims to be a Pharisee as well. Um, and these Pharisees look at Paul and go, that's not a Pharisee. No way can Paul ever be a Pharisee. The way, what he says and what he did, no way. It doesn't. Mm -mm. He's just saying it. I'm just saying, okay, again. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just saying to you, this is what, let's be humble enough to look at the evidence and say, hmm, maybe they have a point. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Take a look at it. Consider it. Don't come defending some pre, you know, things that you've already believed in. No, let's, let's just, let's be open and honest and say, hey, yeah, you know what? Is Paul really a Pharisee? How can he be a Pharisee? From Tarsus? He's, he's very Greek. He's got a lot of Greek. He's certainly got a lot of Greek in his, in his Greek um, concepts and a Greek uh, style of writing in, in the Greco-Roman way of thinking. You can, you can sure see it in his, in his letters. He doesn't write like... Uh, like Peter, James, and John writes, or like Isaiah, or like any of the other uh, Jews, he doesn't write like that at all. He writes like a like a Greco-Roman uh, citizen who, who uh, 
who has these Gnostic tendencies. That's what he writes like. Jordan says, Shalom all, Shalom Jordan, good to see you brother. Hope all is well with you. Yeah, so Christina brings out some points too as well about why, you know, uh, you know some why Paul might say that he's a Pharisee. KMJJ says shalom shalom all blessings, blessings. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome. Mike says, uh, Yeshua came only for the Israelites. Yes, at the time, yes. Yes, he said, uh, I'm only, I'm, I come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Um, and I re he refused initially to heal that woman. Uh, and, uh, you know, so um, that's, that's the thing, right? So, and Paul would explain to the to Gentiles. He, I'm not sure... Mike, like I'm not really, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not really sing. I'm not singling you out here at all, but I think it's, I think it's uh, pertinent to, to mention this thing in the modern Christian corrupt narrative. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul has more authority than any of the other apostles. It's like no other apostle. It's like, I have talked to people like James is for the Israelites. He's not for the Gentiles. And Peter, he, you know, he was, he was for the Jews. According to Galatians chapter two, he's not for the Gentiles. Paul is for the Gentiles. That's why he preached so different. That's why he has a different message than Yeshua. Well, thanks for, thanks for acknowledging that he has a different message. Uh, that's why he has a different message than James. Again, thanks for, thanks for acknowledging that he has a different message than James and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, the problem is with that, and again, Mike, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I hope you're not, I hope this is not your position. Um, I'm not pointing at you. I'm just saying this um, for conversation's sake. He, Paul claimed that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay. Yeshua made all 12 disciples, not without, Paul wasn't there. Apostles to the Gentiles, way before Paul ever get, came on the scene. So when Yeshua was on, you know, walking this earth in the flesh, he was going around, you know what he was doing in the, in the Gospels. At the end of his time on earth here, after his resurrection, you know the story, he met with his 12 disciples and he said, okay, guys, basically, I'll just summarize. Okay, guys, you got trained. Okay, you guys got trained. Now go and preach the gospel to all the world, i.e., all the Gentiles. I.e., taken into all the world means go to the Gentile lands, but first wait until the promise of the of of uh, of the Father, um, i.e., Joel chapter two, Acts chapter two. Wait for that first, 
then go into all the world. Why wait for that first? Because that is the quote unquote anointing for the Gentiles, right? Because before that, the Spirit of God was poured out upon the Jewish people, upon the upon the Israelites. We read that we we read that all the way through the Tanakh. Uh, we'll probably read that tonight as we go on. Actually, I think we probably we will. I, I think it's in the, it's in the story. It's in the portion we'll read. So, pouring out the Spirit of God on the Israelites or the or the Jews was nothing new, but pouring out the Spirit on "Quote unquote, all flesh." That was not. That was never heard of. So, in the upper room, Acts chapter two, we have people from all over the world. We got "quote unquote" all flesh there. Lots of Gentiles, and so the spirit of God fell, and the spirit of God was poured out poured out upon the Gentiles. Huh? That's unheard of. What? God God accepts the Gentiles too? I thought this Jesus thing was, or the the spirit of God was only for the Jewish people. Okay, so. After that happened, then the disciples, according to church history, obeyed the command of the master and went out into all the world and preached the gospel. Long before Paul came on the scene, they were the original apostles to the Gentiles. What did they preach? They certainly didn't have Paul's letters. They certainly didn't have the Roman road to salvation or the, you know, uh, all the stuff that Paul preaches. They didn't preach that at all. They didn't have the New Testament. They only had the Tanakh. But they went out and they preached the gospel. Um, keep in mind that the 12 disciples were the students of Yeshua, right? So again, tradition has it. People can argue whether or not they spent a year with Yeshua or three years with Yeshua, whatever the case is. The 12 disciples were handpicked by Yeshua as just like any any Orthodox Jewish rabbi would do back in those days, especially that those from the from the school of Shemai, which I believe Yeshua was because of the way he taught, and especially in regards to marriage and the way he chose his disciples. Um, so he chose his disciples to be his students, to train them, to like he said himself, uh, uh, students are fully trained. When they're fully trained, they're just like the master. So, uh, of course, I don't believe, uh, and I hope that nobody within the sound of my voice believes that Yeshua didn't do a good job. I think he did do a good job. I think he finished the course, he finished the race, so to speak, uh, that he came to run. He finished his job, which would, which was to be a rabbi and to train the 12 disciples he could have called Paul. He did not call Paul. He could have if he wanted to. He did not. I believe that's, he did, He knew. He. I believe that's by design. And so the 12 disciples went through the course. They went through the hands-on training, face-to-face -face course with Yeshua. They went through the, the school of Yeshua. They lived with him, basically. They lived with him, basically, for, for months, if not years. They got trained. At the end of the training, because they know during the training, Yeshua says, I'm only here for the for the children for the children of Israel. That's right. But at the end of the training, Yeshua's like, okay, you guys are done. Great. You guys passed. Okay. Um, of course, except for Judas, which was replaced by Matthias. But he's like, okay, training's done. Now, guys, go out into all the world, i.e., Gentiles, and preach the gospel. You know, but first wait until the the um, 
the promise of the Father, the pouring out upon all flesh in, in Acts chapter 2. So church history would tell us that the 12 disciples did, in fact, go out and preach the gospel. Right? We get Andrew and Matthias went up in, you know, around Syria and, and, and Andrew, the, the traditional Andrew goes into around the, the Russia area. And we got Thomas that goes down in, um, they say Ethiopia, then India and all these. It, church history's got it all. I mean, recorded. And uh, so they went out and they preached the gospel. And that could be why the gospel of Thomas is so different than Paul too. I mean, he was long, he split bef long before Paul ever came on the scene. And then in Acts chapter 15, Peter says very clearly in verse 7 that, he, that God called him. God chose him that by his mouth the, the Gentiles would hear the gospel. He said that, by the way, right in the hearing of Paul. Paul was right there. Paul didn't object to it, but he did say the opposite in Galatians chapter 2 verse, verse 7. Uh, so... And look at how Paul was treated in the book of Acts. When it came, the number one, the, the, the quote-unquote council of Jerusalem, the number one time when Paul was, um, when, when Paul was there, he was present, and he was, uh, the question was, you know, what do, the, what do the Gentiles have to do to get saved, right? Like, do they have to be circumcised or not? Do they, do they or not to be saved? Like, what do they have to do? Acts chapter 15. That's what the whole thing was. The Council of Jerusalem. Like, how do we deal with the Gentiles? This is foreign to us. We know the Jews can get saved and they've been pouring in by the thousands, but now we got Gentiles. Is it possible? What do we do with them? Is this, is this, is this even allowed? Paul was there. If he was the, the authority chosen by God for the Gentiles, why didn't anybody appeal to his authority? James was there. Peter was there. The elders were there. We have other leaders, spiritual leaders that were there. They made their decision. They spoke. They dis disputed amongst themselves without ever asking Paul, what do you think? Oh, oh well, Paul's in the room. Let's ask him because... Jesus chose him to be apostle to the Gentiles. Not even, not even close. They didn't even go there. Not even, it's like Paul's here. Okay, forget, man. All right, we'll leave him there, but we'll, we'll talk, you know, we'll make the decision. Finally, James made the decision uh, regarding the Gentiles because James is the only one that had the authority to do so. James was the authority of the church. We read that so many times throughout the uh, th uh, church history. We see that in operation in Acts chapter 15. We see that in operation in Acts chapter 21. We read about that in Hegesippus. We read about that in the Clementine homilies, homily 11. We read about that in, talk about the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas also attributes to that fact the same thing that the book of Acts says. Um, I should say the book of Acts actually d demonstrates for us. Uh, so at best, at best, Paul was just another brother. He wasn't trained by Yeshua like the 12 were. He wasn't there. Even he himself in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says very, very clearly, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. In, 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 I'm the least of all the apostles. So again, what, what, do, what do Christians do? Christians go, hey, I believe in the Bible. 
I believe everything the Bible says. Oh, what does the Bible say? Oh, I'm the least of all the apostles. What does that mean? He's the greatest of all the apostles. Great logic, right? Great logic. Paul says, I'm not even, uh, uh, you know, I, I wasn't even an eyewitness. I'm not even worthy. I mean, we got the 12. He counts He counts himself outside. I, I'm, I'm like one born out of due time. Yeah, you are, Paul. You missed the bus. You missed the whole thing, Paul. You didn't see what the, what the 12 saw. You weren't there for the miracles. No wonder you didn't say much about the miracles. You weren't there for the, for the baptism. No wonder you didn't say much about the baptism. You weren't there for, for much of Jesus' teachings. No wonder you didn't say anything about what Jesus taught. And there's another thing. The only thing that Paul said that Jesus taught is something that is, again, either misquoted or made up, one or the other. Because the only thing that Paul said about the teach about what Jesus actually taught, the words in red, is that Jesus said it's quote, quote and unquote, it's better to give than receive. Sounds good. Amen to that. But where did Jesus say that? Where? Book, chapter, verse. Where did Jesus say that? Quote, unquote, it's better to give than receive. And Paul wrote it like that's it. That's exactly what he said. Quote, it's better to give than to receive. Unquote. Once again, Paul, um, I think you got your quote a little bit wrong there, like you do with your Tanakh as well a lot, okay? I think you got it a little bit wrong. Um, where'd you get that information from? Where'd you get it from? The biggest problem, the biggest, biggest problem today is the Bible canon. I'm not talking about the books, the individual books. I'm talking about the Bible canon because Christians and even some people that are not Christians, they tend to idolize. They make an idol out of the Bible canon. That is their golden calf. That is their, that's, that's their, you know, their golden calf today. That's their idol. That's their Baal, their Baal right there is the Bible canon. We need, we need to look at the Bible for what it really is. It's a collection of books that was put together by man, not by God, by man. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere even in history as far as I, can, as far as I know, did any prophet, apostle, priest, or king ever, ever even... claim that God spoke to them and said, here, here's a list. Here's a list. I'll bring my quill out. Here's a list of 66 books. Put it all together in one book and call it the Holy Bible. Nowhere. It's a, man, it's a thing made by man. Okay? Don't get me wrong. The Tanakh is awesome. Okay? The New Testament, you got to read each book for what it really is, right? The four Gospels are four biographies. You got to look at it and again, you got to consider the, the dates that they were written, the, the authors, um, all that kind of thing to really understand um, the, the letters of Paul. They are the letters of Paul. Who's Paul? Again, he's not a prophet. And that's another thing. A lot of people do not understand. They treat Paul like a like a prophet. They treat Paul like he has the authority to say, "Thus saith the Lord." 
He doesn't. They treat Paul like he has the authority to bring some new word of God. He doesn't. Even by his own claims, he doesn't. He doesn't claim to be a prophet. He claims to be um, an apostle. And so that's the thing. People get it mixed up. They treat him like, like a prophet. He's not a prophet. He's an apostle. And if he, like again, he's not part of the 12. He is, he, he is what he claims to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. A man who missed the bus. A man who missed the bus. A man who's not worthy to be called an apostle. And if, and if he is an apostle, he is the least of all the apostles. If he says anything that contradicts James, <clears throat> hint, hint. If he, if he says anything that contradicts James, guess who wins? Guess who has, and they don't have equal authority, no. Guess who wins? James, right? James has all the authority. Not Paul. I think the, the letters of Paul are, are beneficial to the point of, to know what Paul taught. Uh, he does, there are some things, and people who know me know that I, I always quote Galatians 2.20, Galatians 5.24, Galatians 5.19-21, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 6 verses 9 and 10, and there's many others that, that actually I like. I like those, those passages, uh, and I quote them often. I refer to them often. And as I referred to uh, earlier, uh, Paul's, uh, where he said, you know, it's not those who hear the law that are justified. It's those who do the law. They're the ones that are justified. I like that too. That's a good one, Paul. I like it. You know, so there's the things that he says I like. There's some things that he says that, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you can dance around it. You can reconcile it. Again, you can say red is blue, blue is red, green is yellow. You can you can say it, but take it from somebody who went through every single word of Paul. And I'm try and I tried to be as as objective and as unbiased as possible. Without dancing around, without doing hermeneutical philosophical gymnastics, but just taking Paul for what he really said in the context of what he really said it, in the cultural context of what he really said it, and up against all the rest of Scripture. That's where I stand with Paul. As I said earlier, and I said this to Courtney, you don't need Paul. You don't need Paul. Paul's not needed. He's not. They didn't need him in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6. They didn't need him. The 12 disciples, or at least the 10 that went out, like, and we know that Peter and James kind of hung around a little bit more um, in, in the Jewish territory, but, um, but the 10 that went out into all the world, went out into, God, into the Gentiles, they were, in effect, the original apostles to the Gentiles. They didn't need him either. Apparently, Jesus didn't think he needed Paul when he chose, when he called his 12 disciples either. So, um, yeah, Paul's an interesting guy. He's a, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. 
Galatians is a dumpster fire of theology. Let's call it what it really is. It's a dumpster fire. Galatians chapter 1, he's bragging that he got saved, but he didn't even bother with the 12 apostles or the, 12, the original 12 disciples. He just went away into his own. He just went to Damascus and he stayed there for three years. Okay, Paul, but I mean, if I were born again in those days, if I was born again in 50 AD, I don't know. I mean, I hope you guys are on the same page as me, but I mean, if I was born again in 50 AD, the first thing I would do is try to find James, Peter, John, Thaddeus, uh, Philip. Uh, I want to I, I want to find them all. And I want to talk to them. I want to sit down with them. Hey, guys. Wow. You know what? Jesus appeared to me in a vision. I got, you know, he changed my life. I'm sorry. I missed everything. I wasn't around when Jesus was was around. I wasn't following you guys like, like Matthias and Joseph was and Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary and all these other people that were following Jesus everywhere. Man, I missed out. Oh, I missed out. I, I, I could kick myself for this. So guys, Peter, James, tell me, tell me stories about Jesus. Come on. I'll stick around for, I'll stick around for years. Okay. Just, just tell me firsthand accounts. I mean, scholars even, little side note, scholars debate whether or not even Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John was, a, was an eyewitness. By the way, I would want to talk to the eyewitnesses. Peter, Kepha, tell me, what was it like? Simon, Bar-Yona, Bar what was it like? What was it like? I hit my guitar here. What was it like to walk and talk with you? And how long were you with Jesus? One year, two years, three years? What was it like? How did he sound like? Tell me. Tell me the stories. What did he teach? You guys heard probably hundreds of thousands of sentences. I only heard a couple because he appeared to me in a vision and he spoke to me a couple words. That's what I would do if I was Paul. I, I, I wouldn't want to go. I would, I'd want to go to the original 12 and say, hey, guys, you were trained. You actually, your hands actually touched him. Your ears actually heard him in the flesh. Your eyes actually saw him in the flesh. Tell me, what did he look like? How was his voice? Was he was he kind of a more of a harder kind of a, or did he talk really soft? Oh, tell me, talk to me. What's it all about? What happened? Man, I missed it. But hey, I'm at least I'm on board right now. I would want to know. From the eyewitnesses, I would want to get the most out of it. Paul, on the other hand, I don't get it. I don't understand. He's like, well, I didn't bother with the, with the, uh, the apostles. I just went to Damascus and I stayed there for three years. <sighs> okay, Paul. And then he goes on in Galatians chapter 2. Again, Galatians 2, 7. He says, I'm called to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. But Acts chapter 15, verse 7, Peter says that he is called to the Gentiles, that God chose him, that by his mouth, the Gentiles should hear the gospel. Paul was standing right there. Nothing about Paul. Hmm. Then he goes on to say in Galatians chapter 2, well, Peter is a hypocrite. You know, Peter is a hypocrite. Um, excuse me, Paul. I think I'd rather, th okay, I'll hear you out, Paul, but I want to hear Peter's side of the story too, because obviously you guys are saying two different things. 
Galatians 2, 7 says something different than, than Acts chapter 15, verse 7, okay? You guys are saying two different things. In fact, Acts chapter 15, verse 7 is not even written by Peter. It's written by Luke. So perhaps if you ask Peter himself, perhaps even Peter himself would be even harder against Paul. So, and then Acts chapter, or then Galatians chapter 3. I mean, the whole thing is a dumpster fire. It's a dumpster fire. Chapter 3. God, God said seed and not seeds. Therefore, he met one and not many. But Paul, I mean, Paul, Paul, just make sure you don't tell them that there's no such thing in the Hebrew as Zerim. Okay, because you don't use that word when it comes to descendants. And if Paul knew any kind of Hebrew, he, he would know that fact. But why would he say that in Galatians 3? Maybe his audience wasn't very well versed in Hebrew. Maybe they, maybe he thought he could get away with it. Maybe he was just making, fabricating a sales pitch for Jesus. I don't know. Whatever the fact is, whatever the case is, our beloved Jewish brothers and sisters look at that. I'm telling you, I've heard them. And they look at that and they go, Paul, that's nonsense. Just utter nonsense. And you read it in, in, in Genesis. Every time where it says when Paul, when God was saying to Abraham, seed, he said, your seed will be as numerous as the sand of the, of the sea. Of course, he was talking about more than one. As, as mo more than the stars of the, if you can count the stars, so shall your seed be. Of course, he's talking about more than one. Paul, what are you talking about? Yeah, but he didn't say seeds. He said seed, therefore he meant one and not many. Okay, Paul, do you know Hebrew at all? I mean, I know you're from Tarsus. I know, you're, I know you know you're Greek, but do you know? <laughs> do you, what, some Jewish people think that Paul doesn't know Hebrew very well. I'm just saying, I'm not making that, I'm not saying that as a statement of fact. Don't misquote me. I'm just saying some people use, they say, hey, that seems, it looks like Paul doesn't know his Hebrew very well. And, and the fact that he's from Tarsus should tell you that, that that's probably the case. And then later on in that very same chapter, talking to the entire church of Galatia, to all of them, plural, you are the seed of not seeds, seed of Abraham. Oh, okay, Paul. So, okay, okay, okay. Need I say any more? Need I go any further in Galatians? It's a dumpster fire. It's a dumpster fire of, of, of theology and philosophy. It is. And I believe uh, that it could be, very well could be, that could be the original, the, uh, the origin of the quote-unquote rumors that Paul is preaching against the Torah that got him in so much trouble in, in Acts chapter 21. We are not called to worship Paul. We are not called to follow Paul. We are called to follow Yeshua. We are called to obey the Father. Period. So a lot of people, and, and, and again, you know, it all boils down to the fact that people don't, they idolize the Bible. They look at the Bible as if every book is created equal. Mm, far from it. Far from it. 
The Torah was delivered. The commandments of God through Moses was delivered publicly before millions of people to hear and see and fear. It was instantly, instantly, quote unquote, canonized. No, Moses didn't have to prove himself at all, never. God did all of it for him publicly. Not so much with Isaiah. Isaiah's under that. Now, I have nothing against Isaiah. I think Isaiah's awesome. I think everything that he says Isaiah said is, uh, you know, is, 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 is fact and truth. I'm not saying anything against Isaiah. I'm just saying he, uh, Isaiah's revelations did not come the same way as Moses. Therefore, it's not didn't come with the same power. Therefore, he doesn't have the same authority. So that's why Isaiah just kept on pointing everybody back to the Torah, calling everybody to repentance. Repent, get back to the way that uh, God told you to live according, you know, through the through the hand of Moses. Same with all the other uh, prophets. But the problem is when when if if a Christian can get out of the mindset that the Bible is not biblical, they'll they'll go light years in the spirit. They will go light years in the spirit. Their, their understanding of God and the scriptures will just explode. They need to get out of their mind that the Bible is sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered, closed canon, that every single word of it is, is God's word speaking to you today. Even Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, he said, I say this, not the Lord. Right? And then he goes on, of course, you know, in the um, uh, the letters of Paul, he says um, to like for Timothy, he's like, well, go greet this person, go greet that person, go get my go get my cloak over here, my parchments, and get my you know, hey, I forgot something. Go to is this God speaking to you? No, of course it's not. It's Paul speaking to Timothy. We just somebody raided the mailbox. Somebody broke in and got Timothy's mail. And started copying it. That's what happened. Paul never ever wrote his letters to be quote unquote scripture, holy scripture. Never. And so that's that's the problem. People, they, it's it's really the the Bible needs to be split up in, in into the way it used to be when Yeshua walked this earth. To the the Bible should be split up and viewed at. Yeah, as the original church did in the book of Acts. Each one of the 24 books of the Tanakh is kept separately for good reason. Yeshua had no problem with that. He never ever said, hey guys, why you got Isaiah over here and Moses over here and Jeremiah over Put them all together. Here, I'll give you a list of books. Put them all together and call it the Holy Bible. Never, never. It's for a good reason he didn't do that too. I think he knew if he did that, it would be it would be idolized like it is today. So yes, I believe every book of the Bible it is what it says about itself, and what history proves about it. I believe what Paul said about himself. I believe what Paul said in his letters about his own letters. I believe it. I pro and I people say, oh, you don't believe the Word of God. You're throwing. No, I'm not. I'm, actually, I believe the Bible more than these people do. I believe Paul more than these people do. Paul said, I'm the least. They say he's the greatest. 
Paul said, I say this, not the Lord. They say it's the word of God. It's the word of the Lord. It's like, man, what you look at, you look at, <laughs> I got this in front of me. You look at a square and you say it's a triangle. Oh, that square, you can't even see it. You look at a circle. You look at a circle and you say it's a triangle. You look at blue and you call it red. You can do that. Like I said, you can deny anything. You can wreck anything. But if we're humble enough and open enough and courageous enough, we'll look at it and say, hmm, I was told all of my life that this was a blue circle. But you know what? I was duped. I'm sorry. I, 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 it, it, this is a blue circle, and this is a red triangle. I, I mean, just to be honest, uh, to be really honest with yourself, with with God, and, and it, it, you know what? And I know, I understand. It's it's very hard for people to do that. Very hard for people to do that because they don't have. They they think they're so good that they think that the first thing they believe is the truth. Why wouldn't they believe the truth? Why would they ever believe a lie? They're too good to believe a lie, right? They're too good to believe a lie. So it's like, they don't say this with their actions. They say, I would never, I'm too good for that. I'm too perfect for that. I know the, I know a truth. I know the truth when I see it. I know the lie. I know a lie when I see it. I would never get duped. <sighs> the first step on the, on the road to truth is admitting, you know what? I could have been. I could be wrong. I might be wrong. I'll hear you out. I'll sit back. I'll withdraw myself from my own doctrine. I will step back and reassess. I'm not going to get offended if someone comes against my doctrine because, hey, maybe they're right. Maybe they're not. But let's look at it. Look at it. Look at it for what it really is. Be objective. We're not going to defend Paul. I'm not going to be pro-Paul, and I'm not going to defend Paul. And I'm not going to be anti-Paul if it's not true. I just want to look at it from the most objective point of view. What's true, what's not true? What's true, what's not true? Okay, I, again, a lot, most of these comments, I'm sorry, I can't, I, I just, it's too many of them to read them all. Um, yeah. Nanya Biz, Nanya Biz Mike, Nanya Biz says, I'll be watching your Paul vids for clarity. Thank you for allowing me to show. Hey, you know what? And I'll say this as well. You go into the old videos on YouTube, on, on, the, on the YouTube channel, like you're on YouTube right now. Um, you'll see. I mean, I really did. Uh, you, you might even hear things that you never heard before in defense of Paul, okay? Some of the things and some, let me just put it this way. The more recent videos that I do about Paul is the more, you know, as I go, I learn, right? As I go, I learn. I'm always learning. I'm always learning. So the, the more recent videos are the ones that I would 
say are the more, how am I going to put it? The things that I learned, I learned a lot of things going through the letters of Paul. And so the more recent videos that I did, including some of the stuff I said tonight, is a result, excuse me, is a result of my studies and my venture through the letters of Paul. You know, I, you know, I didn't... Uh, I didn't go through the letters of Paul only once. I, only, I went through it all only once online, of course, but I went through it many, 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 many times. But um, you look at Paul for what he really is. Look at Paul for what he really is. In today's Christianity, that's why I say that people should rename Christianity to Paulianity because they do not go by the teachings of Christ. They go by the teachings of Paul. The teachings of Paul are different than the teachings of Christ, no doubt about it. The teachings of how to get saved are different, no doubt about it. The teachings of whether or not you should eat meat sacrificed to idols are quite, quite different. And I use this term different. <laughs> I'm very gracious by saying different, okay? Let me put it that way. They, I'm very gracious to Paul by saying different. They're different, all right. Different. You look at what Yeshua, how, what Yeshua taught against like, zero, zero tolerance when it, comes to eat, when it comes to eating meat or any kind of food sacrificed to idols. Whereas Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, well... What can I say? Compare the two. What's Paul actually saying? What's, what did Jesus clearly say? Like I said to Courtney earlier, Paul, Paul is not clear on many things. He, and he, at the very best, he seems, at the very best, he seems to be talking in circles and contradictory at the very best. And again, I'm being very gracious to Paul by saying it this way. But you compare that to what Yeshua, you, you compare that to the way all the other apostles taught and all the other prophets wrote. Paul wrote in a very convoluted way, and it's not good. Not good. Look at, look at the list of heresies that, that have plagued the Christian church over the past two 2,000 uh, 2, years. Almost all of those heresies are based on the letters of Paul. Why? Because he's so convoluted. Replacement theology. Or sin. First, Martianism. We got Martian. A.K.A. Marcion. Okay, I'm not sure how many of you have know about Marcion. The most denounced... so-called father or church leader in all of church history. We have Polycarp, we have Justin Martyr, and other church uh, fathers that denounced him as a son of 
uh, as, as a man who has the devil in his mouth, he speaks the, from the tongue of evil spirits. His mouth is full of, he, he is the son of Satan. And what was Marcion's doctrine? Paul. He declared himself to be an apostle, or a, a disciple, excuse me, a disciple of Paul. In fact, it was Marcion who was the first one to even coin the term New Testament and put, put uh, uh, a, a bunch of books together and call it the New Testament. That's what I mean. He's the first one to actually put a bunch of books together and say, okay, this is the New Testament. Everything else is the Old Testament. That is what the son of Satan did. What books did he put together and call the New Testament? This was the first so-called version of the New Testament was Marcion. All the letters of Paul um, and Luke, okay? Luke, well, you know, I can understand how he can include Luke because Luke is Paul's buddy. Luke wouldn't say much against Paul. So that was the New Testament according to Marcion, according to someone who is renounced, denounced as being the son of the devil. One of the church's greatest heretics. If 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 he really was the son of the devil, like how uh, Polycarp said he was, if he really did have um, the devil in his mouth, the serpent on his tongue, and all this kind of thing, the way, the way that Justin Martyr and other uh, church fathers said that he did, if that's true, the way all these witnesses say it's true, which I think it is. <laughs> what does that tell you? What does that tell you? If, if a child of the devil loves Paul and puts all of Paul's letters together and Luke's gospel and calls it the New Testament and everything else, the Old Testament, what does that tell you? What does it tell you? Christina, and Christopher, you are gracious to Paul, but don't let him slide as though everyone reading reading him is the real problem. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you, Christina. One of the reasons why I'm gracious to him is because, you know, I'm, just, I'm trying to avoid... A lot of people take my words out of... They take my words out of context. A lot of people misquote me and misunderstand me, so... I, I'll, I'll take the low key when it comes to my my stand on Paul, um, because you know I want to make sure that uh, <laughs> a lot of people. I want to I want to I want to put it this way: I don't want to give the devil any ammunition. That's all. Christina says, I think he is being understood by the modern church exactly how he wanted to be uh, understood, uh, that grace is outside the law and we are outside the law now. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. 
if Paul meant anything other than that, why was he not clear? And why is it that 99.99% of everybody, if not more than that, uh, takes him to mean that? Uh, Ron, good, good to see you. Welcome. Ezekiel is, is a book in the Old Testament where chapters are out of order. It is out of chronological order, so there are problems in these 66 books if you understand anything about Constantine King James. When John says, I wish that you had brought up Marcion to Courtney, I can just imagine what she would say. You just imagine what she would say. Honestly, I never even thought about Marcion at that time. You know, never thought about Marcion at the time. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you look at the new, the development of New Testament doctrine and New Testament books, both canonical and extra canonical. You see how the earliest books are the most Jewish. And as time went on, it got less and less Jewish until it got very, very, like, more like, again, it started with Paul. There's <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, it's right there. I mean, it's historical. It's right there. It started with Paul. And, um, yeah, when John says uh, that was a really great point, Thank you, Juan John. You know what the early church fathers should have done? Just, just, uh, just a, um, just a thought along these these lines. The early church fathers, what they should have done, um, they should have said, "Hey, this guy, we know he's a heretic. We condemn him as a heretic. We condemn him as a son of Satan. We're going to just go the opposite way." We will we'll, we'll take the books, every book that he doesn't mention, we'll take those books and we'll make a New Testament out of it. We'll go the opposite way than the son of the devil goes. You know, um, and instead of calling it the Old Testament, we'll call it, we'll call it the Eternal Testament. Because you know, if you know about Marcion, you know that Marcion taught that the Old Testament's got the old God. God is different. The God of the Old Testament is different than, than the Father of Jesus Christ. And because, you know, the God of the Old Testament is a God of harsh, you know, and uh, is a God of, is a mean God, a strict, um, bloodthirsty God, whereas the God of the New Testament is a God of love and grace and mercy. That's Marcion. That's Marcion. Oh, and Paul. Paul is the one. He is the, and by the way, Marcion also taught that Paul is above every other apostle. And he is to be believed and followed above every other disciple. He is the greatest apostle. That's what Marcion taught. The son of the devil. Again, hello. Does that, does that say anything to anybody? Yeah, maybe next time one, John. Maybe next time. If there is a next time, but... Uh, yeah. But next time we talk to somebody that has a similar view, um, 
yeah, we can uh, bring that up. If I don't remember it, one John, maybe you can throw it in the live chat and we'll we'll talk about it. Hellenized mysticism. Yeah. Okay, guys. One first Samuel chapter eight. First Samuel chapter eight. Again, anybody who's listening, if I did not, if if you put a comment in the live chat and I missed it, my apologies. I can't, I just couldn't go through all of them. Um, please accept my apology. If you want to, um, if you want me to address your your question or your comment, um, put at Christopher at Christopher, and I will uh, I will address it. Okay. Okay, let's let's do this. First Samuel chapter eight. Now it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, or Yoel, and the name of his second, Abiyah, Baijah. They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain, and they took bribes and perverted justice. Isn't that amazing how sometimes you see that, right? They got a really good father and not so much. I mean, uh, you know, I pray that every one of your children or everyone, everyone within the sound of my voice, if you have children or if, if you will have children in the future, I pray your children will be followers of the Lord, followers of God and be holy, holy, righteous, humble and gracious, filled with grace and power like Stephen. And they will walk with, with God. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good thing to, that's a good way to, uh, you know, that's a good greeting. Behold, you have grown old. And your sons don't walk in your ways. <laughs> Another hit on Samuel. Uh, yeah. Yep, that's, that's, that's. That's how you greet them right there. That's how you greet them right there. Uh, now appoint us to judge as a king. Now appoint us a king to judge us, all the nations. So they want a king. They don't want judges. They want a king. Verse 6. But the matter was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people regarding to all, uh, all that they say to you, because you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them out of or up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have abandoned me and served other gods. So they are doing to you as well. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall warn them strongly and tell them of the practice of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for a king. And he said, there will be the, this will be the practice of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them in his chariots for himself. And among his horsemen, they will run before his chariots. 
He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to gather in his harvest to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters and use them as perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and, and your vineyards and give it to his high officials and his servants. There's a like a, a tax. He will tax you. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out on that day because of, of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. Wow. Yet the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they, and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us, so that we also may be like all the nations, and our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, after Samuel had heard all the words of the Lord, he, repeat, he repeated them in the, in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice, listen to their voice, and appoint a king over them. So Samuel said, to the men of Israel, go, every man to his city. First Samuel chapter 9. A little bit sorry about this. Now there was Benjamin, whose, uh, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, the son of Amite, a valiant, mighty man. He had a son whose name was Saul or Shaul. Right? It's the same name as talk about Paul. Shaul, a young man, a young and handsome man. And there was more handsome man than he among the, the sons of Israel. From his shoulders up, he was taller than any of the people. Now the now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father had wandered off. So Kish said to his son Saul, Now take with you one of the servants and arise and go search for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha. Shalisha, Shalisha? But they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. And they passed through the land of Ammonites, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Shaul, or Saul, said to his servant who was with him, Come and let's return, or else my father will stop being concerned about the donkeys and will become anxious about us. But he said to him, Now there is a man of God in this city, and the man is held in honor. Everything that he says definitely comes true. Now let's go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which, which we have set out. Then Shaul said to his servant, But look, if we go, we shall bring the, the man. Or shall we bring the man? For the bread is gone from our sacks, and there is no 
gift bring to the man of God? What do we have? The servant answered Shaul again and said, Look, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God, and he will tell us our way. Previously in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, Come and let's go to the seer. For he who is called a prophet now was previously called a seer. Then Shaul said to his servant, Good idea, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the slope to the city, they found young women going to draw water. And they said to them, Is the seer here? They answered them and said, He is. See, he's ahead of you. Hurry now, for come into the city today, because the people have a sacrifice on the high place today. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now then, go up, for you will find him about this time. So they went up to the city. As they came into the city, behold, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the high place. Now a day before Shaul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you appoint him as ruler over my people Israel. And he will save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have considered my people because their outcry has come to me. When Samuel saw saw Saul, saw Shaul, uh, to him, behold, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. Then Shaul approached Samuel in at the gateway and said, please tell me where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered uh, Shaul and said, I am the seer. Go up ahead of me to the, to the high place, for you shall eat with me today. And in the morning, I will let you go. And I will tell you everything that is on your mind. Mm. As for your donkeys that wandered off three days ago, do not be concerned about them, for they have been found. And for whom is everything that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your your father's household? Shaul replied, Am I not a Benjaminite? Of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? In my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me this way? Then Samuel took Saul, Shaul, and, and his servant, and brought them into the hall, and gave them a place at the head of those who were invited, who were about thirty men. And Samuel said to the cook, Serve the portion that I gave you, about which I have said to you, I said to you, set it aside. Then the cook took up the leg with what was on it and placed it before Shaul. And Samuel said, Here is, is what has been reserved. Place it before you and eat, because it has it has been kept for you until the appointed time, since I 
said, I invited the people. So Shaul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke to Shaul on the roof, and they, came, and they got up early. And at daybreak, Samuel called to Shaul on the roof, saying, Get up, so that I may send you on your way. So, so Shaul got up, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And, they, and as they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, or Shaul, Speak to the servant, and have him go on ahead of us and pass by. But you, you stand here now so that I may proclaim the word of God to you. So Samuel wanted him alone. First Samuel chapter 10. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, Has the Lord anointed you as ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now, behold, your father has stopped talking about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what am I to do about my son? Then you will go on further from here, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there, three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and a lyre in front of them, and they will sighing. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush on you, and you will prophesy with them. Here's another, this is what I was referring to earlier when it, when it comes to the Spirit of God being poured out upon people, right? We got the Spirit of God being poured out upon this group of prophets and prophesying. Um, they cannot prophesy without the Spirit of God being poured out upon them. Then the Spirit of the Lord will basically will be poured out upon him or rush on you, another way of putting it. Um, and he will prophesy. So uh, Saul is going to prophesy with the group of prophets and be changed into a different man. It's kind of like a hint of being quote-unquote born again, isn't it? Isn't it? I think this could be a reason, apart from the fact that Abraham was quote-unquote born again, uh, when, he, when Abram became Abraham and Jacob became Israel and Saul became a new man here, became was changed into a different man. I think this is one of the reasons why Yeshua... In John chapter 3, um, taking it at, at face value, uh, could, could rebuke Nicodemus for not knowing this. A lot of Christians believe that the whole born-again thing is a New Testament thing. It's not. Okay, it's not. It's a, it's a quote-unquote Old Testament thing. It's a thing of the Tanakh. Uh, that's the reason why 
you know, if if Jesus rebuked anybody, as he rebuked, like as it records in John chapter three, Nicodemus being rebuked for not, not knowing the born again experience. How would he know? You read and study the Tanakh well enough, you should know these things. Verse 7. And it shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, because God is with you. And you shall go down ahead of me to Gilgal, and behold, I will be coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and inform you of what you Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel that God changed his heart and all those signs came about on that day. When they came there to the hill, behold, a group of prophets met him and the Spirit of God rushed on him so that he prophesied among And it came about when all who previously knew and saw that he was indeed prophesying with the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Shaul also among the prophets? And a man from there responded and said, And who is their father? Therefore, it became a saying, Is Shaul also among the Nevi'im, the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Now Shaul, Shaul's uncle, said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To look for the donkeys. When we saw that there were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. Shaul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. <laughs> I'd be asking the same. Anybody who met Samuel, I'd, I'd be asking the same thing. So Shaul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had mentioned. He called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up from Egypt. And I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your catastrophes and your distresses. Yet you have said, no, but put a king over us. Now then present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your groups by thousands. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel forward. And the tribe of Benjamin was selected by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin forward by its families. And the Matrite, Matrite family was selected by Lot. And Shaul, the son of Kish, was selected by Lot. Note that God always works like this when it comes to selecting people. I've had someone tell me before, just a little bit of a side note here. I've had some people tell me before, well, you know, when the disciples cast lots and when they prayed and they cast lots in Acts chapter one, uh, that was against the, the, the will of God. That was, they were gambling. Okay, that's what they got Matthias. So, you know, Paul was really uh, just not Matthias. No, no, sorry. That's not how it works. That's not how God works. 
He always chooses by lot. Whenever he doesn't reveal something directly to somebody, he always chooses by lot. Especially after a prayer. That's the way, that's the ways of God. But when they looked for him, they could not, or he could not be found, excuse me. Therefore, they inquired further of the Lord. Quote, has the man come here yet? Unquote. And the Lord said, Behold, he's hiding himself among the baggage. So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Then Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Sure, no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed them before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. Shaul also went, went to his house in Gibeah. And the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But certain useless men, useless sons of Belial, I suppose. Let me just see here the footnotes. Yep, sons of Belial. Talk about sons of Belial. We, we spoke about one earlier, Marcion, sons of Belial. But certain useless men, sons of the devil, uh, sons of Belial, said, how can this one save us? And they despised him and did not bring him a gift, but he kept, but he kept silent about it. Samuel chapter 11. Now, Nahash, Nahash, name is very, very, uh, like a Hebrew for serpent, actually. Uh, very similar. Nahash, the Ammonite, went up and besieged Yabesh Gilead. And all the men of Yabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. But Nahash, the Ammonite said to them, I will make it with you on this condition that I will gouge out the right, right eye of every one of you. Oh, pretty brute, isn't it? And thereby, thereby I will afflict a disgrace on all of Israel. So the elders of Yabesh said to him, allow us seven days to send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words in the hearing of the people. And, the, and all the people raised their voices and wept. Now, behold, Shaul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Shaul said, What is the matter with the people that they weep? So they reported to him the words of the men of Yabesh. Then the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. When he heard these words, and he became very angry. This is a, this is a, an example how the spirit of God can actually make you angry. It cannot, it, you can be you can be angry in the spirit, so to speak. Angry in the spirit. Verse seven. He then took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of the message, saying. Whoever does not come out after Shaul and after Samuel, the same shall be done to this oxen. 
Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one person. He counted them in Bezek, and the sons of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. They said to the messengers who had come, This is what you shall say to the men of Yabesh Gilead. Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will be saved. So the messengers went and told the men of Yabesh, and they rejoiced. Then the men of Yabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. The next morning, Shaul put the people in three companies, and they came to the midst of the camp at the morning watch, and struck and killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Shaul reign over us? Bring the men, so that, so that we may put them to death. But Shaul said, Not a single person shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has brought about victory in Israel. Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Shaul king before the Lord in, in Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. First Samuel chapter 12. Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice for all that you, you said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. Now, here is the king walking before you. But as for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. And I have walked before you since, since my youth to this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? And whose, or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I exploited? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to close my eyes with it? I will return it to you. And they said, you have not exploited us or oppressed us or taken anything from anyone's hand. So he said to them, The Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your father from the land of Egypt. Now then, Take your stand so that I may enter into judgment with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord that he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. They cried to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have abandoned the Lord and have served the Baals, or the Baals, and the Ashtaroth. But now save us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Yerubbaal, 
that would be um, Gideon, Baden, Jephthah, and Samuel, and saved you from the hands of your enemies all around, so that you lived in security. But when you saw that Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, was coming against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us. Yet the Lord your God was your king. And now, behold, the king whom you have chosen, whom you, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has put a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. But if you do not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you, even as it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord is going to do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, by asking for yourselves a king. I find it super interesting. I find it super interesting that can you imagine a prophet or anybody today that, that has this kind of connection with the Lord? I'm going to pray and God is going to do a, God is going to do a miracle in the in nature. And he will prove that you have sinned. Another thing too is it's very clear here that it was a sin. They have done wickedness, it says here, in the sight of the Lord and asking for a king. Yet, God gave them a king. Think about that for a minute. Because some people would say, well, you know, and this is true. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's true. Some people would say, well, you're not, your prayers are not answered because you're asking for something that is a sin, like God doesn't want to give you. God doesn't want to give you that, therefore he's not going to give you that. But that's not always the case. Sometimes, and here's a good example, sometimes you can ask God for something that he does not want you to have, that is wickedness, and yet he will give it to you. Yet he will give it to you. In the grand scheme of things, in the in the in the you know, in the big picture, there's there's something that is more, you know, there's something more at play here. I mean that's mind that's mind boggling to me because it's like when we ask God for something, it may not be His will for us to have it, but yet He gives it to us anyway, just like this, right? Again, it says here, then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Then all the people said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we do not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Oh yeah, I see it took a, sometimes it takes more than just, you know, um, a man coming in the name of the Lord as Samuel did to, to speak the word of the Lord. Sometimes people are so, they're very obstinate and they won't listen. Sometimes God has to turn them upside down, give them, give them a good whipping like they did here, and then find, oh, yeah, now, uh, yeah, we're wrong, we're wrong. Okay, we're wrong. Please, please, Samuel, pray that, you know, 
that, uh, that we don't die. Verse 20, Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet you do not turn aside from following, excuse me, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Indeed, you must not turn aside, for then you would go after useless things which cannot benefit or save because they are useless. The Lord will not abandon his people on account of, of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Reminds me of Yeshua. You know, it's, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeshua, right? Fear not, little flock. It's the, it's the Father's good, ple good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Very, very similar to this. It's the same kind of, same kind of spirit message here. Furthermore, as for me, far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do evil, if there's the condition, if you still do evil, both you and your king will be swept away. So there's that condition. Again, if there's no repentance, you still do it, then the punishment will come. 1 Samuel chapter 13, War with the Philistines. Shaul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 42 years over Israel. Then Shaul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of whom 2,000 were with Shaul in Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, where a thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent the rest of the people away, each to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Shaul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard the news that Shaul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become repulsive to the Philistines. Then the people were, were summoned to Shaul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And the people liked the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people kept themselves hidden in caves, in crevices, in cliffs. It reminds me of the book of Revelation, you know. Hidden in caves, crevices, and cliffs, in crypts, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Shaul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Now he waited for seven days until he appointed time that, that Samuel had set, the time that Samuel had set. But Samuel did not to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Shaul said, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. But as soon as he finished 
offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Shaul went out to meet him, meet and, and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? Since I saw that the people were scattering from me, that you did not come at the appointed time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Now the Philistines will come down against me at, uh, at Gilgal, and I, and I have not asked favor, the favor of the Lord. So I worked up the courage and offered the burnt offering. But Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For the Lord would now have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel set out and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul counted the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Now Shaul, uh, his, his son Jonathan, and the people who were present with them were staying at Geba of Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Then raiders came from the, from the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah to the land of Shual, Shual, and another company toward Beit Horon, and another company toward the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now no blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel because the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to, to the Philistines, each to sharpen his plowshare, his metoch, his ox, and his hoe. The charge was two-thirds of a shekel for, for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to fit the cattle goads. So it came about on the day of battle that neither sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Shaul and Jonathan, but they were found with Shaul and his son Jonathan. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the gorge of Michmash. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Shaul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let's cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Shaul was staying, at, staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree that is in Migron. And the people who were with him outnumbered about 600 men. And Ahijah, Ahij, Ahij, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, or again in Hebrew it would be Pinchas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh was wearing an ephod. And the people didn't know that Jonathan had gone. Excuse me. Now, before the gorges, or excuse me, now between the gorges, 
by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison. There was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes Sene. And the one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash and the other on the south opposite Geba. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, let's cross over the garrison, to the garrison of, the, of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. Because the Lord is not limited to saving by many or by few. His armor, his armor bearer said to him, Do everything that is in your heart. Turn yourself to it, and here I am with you as your heart's desired. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we are going to cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand on our, in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has handed them over to us, and this shall be the sign to us. When the two of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have kept themselves hidden. So the men of the garrison responded to, to, to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will inform you of something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has handed him over to Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him, and the men fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer put some put some to death after him. Now, now that now that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer inflicted was about twenty men within about a, a furrow, uh, excuse me, a half a furrow in an acre of land, and there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. Even the garrison and the raiders trembled. And the earth quaked, so that it became a great trembling. Now Shaul's watchmen in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude dissolved. They went there, here and there. So Shaul said to the people who were with him, Look carefully now, and see who has left us. And when they had looked, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Then Saul said to Ahiah, or Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For at that time the ark of God was with the sons of Israel. When Shaul talked to the priests, the commotion in the camp of the Philistines continued and increased. So Shaul said to the priests, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the, to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow Philistine. And there was a great confusion. Now the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around in the camp, even they also returned to be with the Israelites who were, who were with Shaul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel who had kept themselves hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines had fled, they also closely pursued them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beit Avain, or Bethen. 
Now the men of Israel were hard pressed that day, for Saul had put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food before evening, and before I have avenged myself on avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. All of the land entered the forest, and there was honey on the ground. When the people entered the forest, behold, there was honey dripping, but no man put his hand to his mouth, because the people feared the oath. However, Jonathan had not heard it when his father had put the people under oath. So he put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and, and dipped it in the honeycomb and put it and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the people responded and said, Your father strictly put the people under oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food today. And the people were weary. Then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See now that my eyes have brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more if the people, if only the people had freely eaten today of the spoils of their enemies which they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has has not been, been great. They attacked the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aiyalon, but the people were very tired, so the people loudly rushed upon the spoils and took the sheep, oxen, and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then observers informed Shaul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating meat with the blood. And he said, You have acted treacherously. Roll a large rock to me this day. Then Shaul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Each one of you bring me this his ox or his sheep and slaughter it here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating it with the blood. So all people brought them that night, each one his ox with him, and they slaughtered them there. And Shaul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Shaul said, Let's go down after the Philistines by night and take plunder among them until the morning light. And let's not leave a man among them alive. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. So the priest said, Let's approach God here. So Shaul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you hand them over to Israel? But he did not answer him on that day. Then Shaul said, Come here, all you leaders of the people, and investigate and see how this sin has happened today. For the, as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, even if, if it is in my son Jonathan, he shall assuredly die. But not one of all the people answered him. Then he said, All Israel, you shall, you shall be on one side, and I and my son, son Jonathan will be on the other side. And the people said to Shaul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Shaul said to the Lord, the God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Jonathan and, and Shaul were selected by lot, but the people were exonerated. Then Saul said, cast lots between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was selected by lot. Again, we have the selection by lot here. So Jonathan, or so Shaul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan told him. 
and said, I did indeed taste a little honey with the end of my staff, which was in my hand. Here I am. I must die. And Shaul said, may God do the same to me and more also, for you shall certainly die, Jonathan. But the people said to Shaul, must Jonathan die? He who has brought about this great victory in Israel? Far from it, as the Lord lives, not even a hair of his head shall fall to him, because he has worked with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Shaul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Now when Shaul had taken control of the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all his armies on every side, against Moab, the sons of Ammon, Edom, and the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he afflicted punishment. And he acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and saved Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Now, now the sons of Shaul were Jonathan, Ishvi, Malkishua. Malkishua is a very interesting name, by the way. Uh, Malki meaning king. Shua, salvation, king of salvation. And the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn were, was Merab, and the name of the younger, Michal. And, and the name of Shaul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Az. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's or Shaul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner was the father of Abner, the, uh, was the son, excuse me, and Ner was the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now the war against the Philistines was severe all the days of Shaul, and when Saul saw any warrior or any valiant man, man he attached him to his staff. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. And this is what the Lord of armies says. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, in that he obstructed him on the way he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and completely destroy everything that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Then... Excuse me. Then uh, Shaul summoned the people and counted them in Telmaim, 200,000 foot, foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Yehuda. And Shaul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the Wadi. Wadi in the footnotes is the valley, in the valley. But Shaul said to the Kenites, 
Go, get away and go down from among the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the sons of Israel when they went up from Egypt. So the Kenites got away from among the Amalekites. Then Shaul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, going towards Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, or Agag, I should say, the king of the Amalekites alive, and completely destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Shaul and the people and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the more valuable uh, animals, the lambs, and everything that was good, and were unwilling to destroy them completely. But everything despicable and weak, they completely destroyed. Notice that's in complete, that's in complete defiance with uh, the command of God that they should destroy everything. For Samuel 15, verse 10, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I've made Shaul king because he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was furious and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel got up early in the morning to meet Shaul, and it was reported to Samuel, saying, Shaul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and proceeded down to Gilgal. So Samuel came to, to Shaul, and Shaul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. Oh, did you? Did you really, Shaul? Did you? Okay. Um, verse 14. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep I hear in uh, uh, bleeding of sheep in my ears and the bellowing of oxen which I hear and Shaul said they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice see how he makes it look good see how he makes it look good to sacrifice to the Lord your God but the rest we have completely destroyed. Let me just say this for a second. People do this um, in, in the church today, so to speak, in Christianity today. They do this with a lot of things. Things that they know they should get rid of, they keep it, but then they say they, they try to make it look like they dedicate it to the Lord. If God says get rid of it, get rid of it. If God says sacrifice it, so to speak. Sacrifice it, okay, figuratively speaking. People do this with many things. I mean, I mean, not just things, but also with uh, sins and maybe attitudes. Maybe uh, There's lots of things that people do. Exactly, they do exactly what Shaul did here. God says, you know, for example, God says, come out from among them, says the Lord. And so what do the, the people don't? Instead, it's like, no, 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 I'm not going to come out from among them. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to win, I'm going to win them to the Lord. Well, it sounds good, but if God said come out from among them, if God doesn't want you to go to the bar with that guy, don't try to make an excuse to say, yeah, but 
I'm going to I'm going to somehow do the will of God through you know in the situation anyway. If God puts it on your heart or if God speaks to you saying don't do that, then <laughs> then don't do it. Sacrifice it so to speak, you know. People do this a lot. People do this a lot. So Samuel said to said to Saul, "Stop and let me inform you of what the Lord said to me last night." And he said to him, speak. So Samuel said, is it not true? Though you were, you were insignificant in your own eyes that you became the head of all of the tribes of Israel. For the Lord anointed you as king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and completely destroy the sinners and Amalekites and fight against them until they are eliminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Instead, you loudly rushed upon the spoils and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then Shaul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. Yeah, right. Here we go. Arguing, right? Arguing the, the obvious, uh, denying the obvious here. I did not. I did obey the voice of the Lord. Oh, no, you didn't. You think you did. You know, see, in, 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 in Shaul, in Saul's eyes, he might say, well, the voice of the Lord said to sacrifice animals, didn't he? Well, yeah, but he also said, again, let's look at things from a big, you know, look at the big picture. He said, in this specific instance, don't do it. I did obey the voice of the Lord, for I went on the mission on which the Lord uh, sent me. Yeah, well, you did that, Saul. I have brought Agag, the king of uh, Amalek, and have completely destroyed the Amalekites. Uh, really? But the, but the people, the people, that's it, the people. The people took some of the spoils, the sheep and oxen, the choices of the things designated, designated for destruction. Thank you for admitting that, Saul. Uh, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. Yeah, it's almost like how... Um, uh, uh, Yeshua says, like in the Gospels, he's like, you say, you know, whatever would have been, uh, you know, f uh, used to honor my father and my mother, I, it, it is korban. It is a gift to God. Uh, no, that's not how it works. You honor your father and your mother. Don't, don't use one commandment to justify the violation of, the, of another commandment. Or don't use a lesser commandment to justify the violation of a greater commandment. So many people don't do that. And that's, we were I was trying to talk about that earlier today as well. Look at the full picture, the whole thing. Sometimes all does not mean all in a universal, absolute sense. Sometimes it means all of a certain group. In a certain circumstance. Actually, let me say this. Very, very rarely, if ever, when you see the word all in the Bible, it means all. Like, for example, here's a good example where it says in, uh, uh, I believe it's Luke, where it talks about how Caesar Augustus took his took a census, right? Caesar Augustus took a census and it says all the world came. Um. I don't think that the Aztecs of Central America came to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem or wherever to to you know to file in for the census. Again, in context, all the world means all the world of the is of the Israelites. All the Israelites. It's not talking about 
you know, the, you know, the, the, the uh, what would you call it? The Magi or whatever, you know, or the, um, the people of the, the natives of North America back in those days. No, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be doing that. That's not, we should do a video or something like that. We should do a video or something about how, when it says all in this, in the Bible, very rarely, if ever, very rarely, if ever, does it actually mean all in a universal, absolute sense for everybody, like everybody everywhere. It just, it's just not, it's just, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And that's an example when all the world came to do the census. No, not all the world. All the world of the Israelites, yeah. All the world in that part of the world, yes. Samuel said, Samuel said to, to Shaul, does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? That's what it's all about there, Shaul. It's not about sacrifices and offerings. And here, is in, here it is again, once again, many times, how sacrifices and offerings do not cover sin in every circumstance. It does not. The blood does not come. Because if it did, here's a really good point here. If it did, Samuel would say, okay, Saul, you disobeyed God. But yeah, yeah I mean, take what you got and offer the sacrifices because the blood will cover, the blood will wash away your sins. No, absolutely not. Another piece of evidence. Maybe we should make a tally. I mean, what's this? Number, <laughs> how many? How many? Scores. We, uh, you can pull out scores of, of um, pieces of evidence like this. One could argue that Saul, or one could argue that the Christian point of view today, that sacrifices, and even the sacrifice of Yeshua, uh, and the sacrifices of the Old Testament, because that, in Christian um, logic and theology, the sacrifice of Yeshua is the fulfillment of the sacrifices of the quote-unquote Old Testament. So, if that's the case, let me just, if that's the case, let's say this, let's say this. According to the logic of Christians today, you can replace this burnt offerings and sacrifices with the cross, with, with uh, your faith in the cross of Christ your faith in, in the sacrifice of Christ, okay? So, so that would translate to say, does the Lord have as much delight in your faith in the cross of Christ as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. One could argue that Saul perhaps had the the quote-unquote Christian point of view. And like, I know the Christian, they didn't think, what the, you know, the term or the name Christian didn't exist back then. I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. But the way Christians view it today, like sacrifice is the way to cover, cleanse away the sin. Not in this instance. Not in this instance. Not in the instance of Amos chapter 5. Not in the instance of uh, Isaiah chapter 
two. I will think it. Um, a second here. Sixty-six. Forgive me. Sixty-six, verse three. Actually, the whole the, the whole first part of Isaiah chapter sixty-six um, talks about that, where God is not God does not accept sacrifice as a payment for any debt of sin or covering sin. Did not cover sin in that. Right. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Same thing. Did not cover sin. It doesn't say sacrifice. It's repentance. Repentance always works. Always, always, always. Repentance is always, it's the most, repentance is the most efficient means of atonement, whereas sacrifice is not the most uh, efficient. And this is a good example. This is a really good example. Otherwise, Samuel would have said to Saul, yeah, Saul, you sinned, but eh, you got sacrifices. Yeah, you're covered, man. You're covered. You're good. No, you're not, Saul. You're not covered. Those sacrifices, that blood of that lamb does not cover you. Why? Because he chose to disobey. He chose to bring that quote-unquote blood of the, of the lamb in his disobedience. That does not work. Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23 makes it very clear. Yeshua said, many, many, many will come to me on that day, coming to Jesus, professing him as Lord, having faith to do many, many works, to prophesy. Jesus never denied it at all. But he said, they did not obey. They were workers of iniquity. Therefore, they're rejected. Get away from me. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Apparently, it doesn't matter how much you come to the Lord. It doesn't matter how much you profess Him as Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter. If you are still a worker of iniquity, if you have not repented, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, it doesn't matter how much burnt offerings and sacrifices you bring. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as reprehensible as the sin of divination. And insubordination is as reprehensible as false religion and idolatry. Since you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Ouch! Then Shaul said to Samuel, I have sinned. <laughs> you better say that. You better say that, Saul. For I have violated the command of the Lord. Now you admit it. And your words, because I feared the people. Mm -mm -mm, snare. Fear of man is a snare. And listen to their voice. See, sometimes listening to someone else other than the Lord means fear. To fear someone else means to listen to someone else other, uh, uh, you know, contrary to the Lord. Fearing, fearing the Lord, listen, listen to the Lord who may be contrary to the people or to man. Verse 25. Now then, please pardon my sin and return with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not return with you, 
for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Then Samuel turned to go. But, but Shaul, but Saul, grasped, grasped the edge of his robe and tore it off. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor, who, who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie, nor change his mind. For he is not a man that he would change his mind. And Saul, Shaul said, I have sinned. But please honor me now before the elders of my people and before all Israel and go back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Shaul and, and, and Shaul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is gone. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so you shall so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Shaul went to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death though Samuel mourned for Shaul. And the Lord regretted that he made Shaul king over Israel. What an amazing story, guys. What an amazing story. Okay, so I'm going to quick, quickly go through. There's so many, again, there's so many, um, so many comments here you guys have in the chat. There's no way, it's way more than I can... Um, actually, I can't even scroll back. It won't even let me scroll back to any more than, I don't know, maybe the last hundred or so. But um, if there's any questions that you have specifically for me, please put at Christopher in the comments, in the live chat. And if I don't get to your question or comment, please forgive me. Um, it's because it's long gone. <laughs> it's because it's long gone. Um you know, we should have a system where we where you can you can actually submit questions a little easier and kind of get it you know have a little different you guys have your own live chat and then you have a question thing that's really what should be in place uh, we just don't have the technology for that right now uh, my apologies um so let me see what we got here um there's a second Appropriate, said Christopher, have you read Marcion's Gospel? Heretical, but very close to the synoptics in many ways. Uh, I haven't really studied it. I have uh, I have gone over it like briefly, but I haven't really studied it. Let's see what else we got here. Um, Christina asked a question. Uh, how old were, were Jonathan and Shaul? that they were able to fight together. Um, uh, 
Uh, just give me a second here. Um, okay, I got to refer to Just give me a second. Sorry for this. Okay, there's a, there's a document here I'd like to just bring to your attention. Um, um, very good question, Christina. It's uh, a second. Okay, so there's there's a uh, uh, let me just let me just bring this up. This is uh, from academia.edu. It's a um, book by the name of King Saul and, and son Jonathan. It says if Jonathan was at least forty five years of age when he died, and the narrative suggests that he was not an old man, uh, then then Saul began to reign. Then when Saul began to reign, Jonathan would would have would only have been about five years of age if if Saul had reigned for 40 years. But this contradicts the facts because 1 Samuel 13, 1-2 informs us that in the second year of the reign of Saul, when, when Saul was fighting against the Philistines, Jonathan himself was already a soldier and was uh, was in fact a leader of the army. Um, so Saul, uh, let me see, Saul was 40, uh, a little bit later here. Let me just, 42, I think it would be, um, there is a footnote here. I, I can't really pull it up right now. Uh, it says that Saul was um, Saul was forty two. Okay, hold on a second. So Saul was forty two when David was born, and Jonathan was twenty seven. Saul was fifty seven when David was anointed. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I have any more, I don't have any more information than this, Christina. Uh, you might want to look into it. Uh, King Saul and Saul and son Jonathan here, but question, very good question.
Yeah, like I mean, without going a whole lot of detail here. Uh, let me see if I can put that in the comments. Not sure if this will work. Let's see if it works. I'm not sure if it will. Um, perhaps you got that in the comments or not, but that's the link to that article that I I am reading. Uh, that would give a lot more detail is in, in, in that regard, Christina. Hope that helps. Thank you for asking. Um, okay, I really don't see much more that's really like you guys have directed to me for questions or comments. So yeah. So yeah, uh, if you do have, again, last call, if you do have uh, any more questions or comments that you want to bring to my attention, please enter them now. Uh, put at Christopher in uh, in the live chat, and I will um, I will I will hopefully get to them. Uh, the Tower Time, I see you here. It says Shalom, brothers and sisters. Bless y'all, Shalom, brother. Good to see you. Welcome. Um, see if there's anybody else I missed here. I think I got everybody. Abril says, uh, Shalom, Shalom. Shalom, Abril. Want to make sure I got everybody. Okay. So, yeah, uh, if there's anything more, any, any more questions. Yeah, and um, if you have any more... Um, If you have any more suggestions as far as uh, what to do next weekend, I'm thinking about um, next Saturday, uh, Lord willing, doing another kind of like an open open mic kind of thing where people can come on like we had uh, yesterday uh, when we had uh, Krista and Thomas come on. Uh, they shared some good testimonies and that was that was that was pretty good. Um, but yeah, uh, let me know. You can send me an email or. Uh, let me know what you uh, if you have any suggestions about anybody to invite them on, or or perhaps a suggestion. Maybe you uh, you want to suggest you know just to, uh, just have a, a Shabbat where you just read and and talk about uh, maybe talk about Marcion or something like that. I don't know, um, but I'm thinking you know see what we can do about Saturdays, uh, getting more of an open floor getting people coming on to tell testimonies or uh, whatever, uh, chat, challenge, debate. Um, we have, I noticed there's a variety of um, responses and a variety of feedback that I got from earlier today with having Courtney on. Some of you guys liked it like the whole conversation and some of you did not like it. Um, you know, I'm here to serve you guys. So let me know uh, what you think. Maybe you might want to put it just in the comments right on that video. You might want to comment, say, oh, you know, this was great or, uh, you know, this was a waste of time or whatever. Um, and, um, you know, I, uh, I would appreciate you guys feedback on that. Um, yeah. And hopefully we can have some more, very interesting guests to come on in the, in the next uh, several days. 
until then, as always, we'll be going through uh, the scriptures. I will be tomorrow, Lord willing, back same time, same place, 7 p.m. Eastern. However, um, I will be doing a little bit more of a chronological reading. I'll be, I think I'll be dip, dipping into the Psalms a, a little bit more, seeing that we're talking about Saul and David and, and some of these other things that the Psalms kind of also reflect. And so we're going to... I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel and probably uh, dipping into some of the Psalms as well and kind of doing it that way, doing a uh, chronological reading. So uh, and throughout the rest of the week as well. Okay, as always, there's my email. If you want to contact me directly, personally, uh, if you want to say something to me that you don't want to put it in the live chat, if you know anybody else to see, or if you just want, if you just have a lot to, you have a long, um, you have a long uh, email and you have a long message and it just won't fit in the live chat or it's just not good for the live chat. Just use that email and uh, and uh, I will get it through the email. So once again, guys, thanks. Thank you for 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 your fellowship. Thank you for your comments, for your questions. Um, I appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. You guys are world changers. Keep it up. Uh, let me just double check here before. Before I go, Christina says, I got it. Thank you. Okay, great, Christina. <laughs> uh, Mike. Mike says, Thank you, Mr. Eno. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate your brother. Thank you for your questions and your comments. It's awesome. Uh, you guys are awesome. KMJJ says, great night today. Great study today. Um, thank you. Shalom. Thank you very much. Blessings. Shalom multiplied back to you. <laughs> um, you guys are funny. Poppy says, the Bible is not biblical. Yes, I'm into that. It's not. <laughs> the Tower Time. Brother Jackson said if you email him, he'd be happy to join you for whatever you'd like to discuss. Okay, that sounds that sounds awesome. Thank you very much, uh, The Tower Time. Awesome, awesome. Brother Jackson, interesting gentleman for sure. Lord willing, we'll do that there. Uh, Tower time, we'll let you know how it goes. Well, if, if I don't let you know, maybe uh, Jackson himself will let you know. Um, Bobby, yeah. One John says, thanks for all your time today, Christopher. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you as well, One John. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, brother. The Tower Time, uh, thank you also, brother. You stay blessed. Bless you. And may this channel continue to grow and glorify our Heavenly Father in Yeshua's name. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate your support. I appreciate um, your fellowship. Again, you guys are awesome. Byron says, Shalom. I hope you all have a great night. You too as well, Byron. Lord bless you. Be with you tonight, tomorrow. Okay, guys, that's it. I'll see you again tomorrow night. As always, I pray for every one of you watching. The Lord bless you and keep you Make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. 
Amen. Amen. See you guys tomorrow.